Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to 2021 in the in-season podcast with PLL head coach Andy Towers. We're going to talk college lacrosse. Fired up to be back. AT, how you doing, buddy? I'm above average. Still above as, average. As usual. Well, yeah, listen, I, I hope so. It's, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, Jamie, but I, I'm, I'm still teetering above average. It's a little like, uh, like Bitcoin after the uh, 15% fall off in the last 24 hours. Well, it's been, it's been a year since we've done a podcast, just about maybe a little bit less. Uh, we were on such a, we were on such a roll. There was such great calls across in 2020. And then it really just turned into backyard lacrosse, turned into a lot of rage ball. It turned into rage balls. Exactly right. I think the last podcast we had was leading up to Carolina Georgetown and ironically, both teams look even better than they did last year and are both undefeated. That weekend was going to be full of awesome games, and uh, unfortunately, it got terminated. But fortunately, we're roughly a uh, you know eleven months behind it now, and uh, let's hope that we have brighter pastures ahead. I think we do. Exactly. All right. So we've got a new format this year, and the format is there is no format. We're just going to talk lacrosse, and I'm just going to ask questions, and we're going to kind of let it go. So. It's kind of like Seinfeld. It's going to be a show about nothing. Reaction guy. Reaction. Okay. Who's the best team in the country then? Wow. You know, I think it's North Carolina. Um, and, and this is why. Number one, I think they have the best face-off unit. I know they do right now. I, you know, the, Once the new rules came out, you could see that a lot of these guys had struggled. You know, the the, the two units that didn't struggle for me is actually Petey LaSala has not struggled with these rules. He's thrived. Uh, and the other group that has thrived 
is Tucci and Trier. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. I don't know how you say it. Whatever. The backup for UNC is a stud too. To me, UNC and Virginia, their face-off units have clearly separated themselves as it relates to the smoothest transition to the new rules. I would like to see these guys, and I think what we're going to start to see, Jamie, is multi moves. You know, you're not just going to see plungers. I think you're going to see more straight rakes. I think you're going to see more chops. I think you're going to see more laser rakes as these guys become more accustomed to the rules and they realize the opportunities that are out there for them to be unique in a landscape where everybody is predominantly doing the same move. And I think that um, that's going to make the sport a lot more fun to watch. Beyond that, I think that Carolina has a better goalie and close defenseman situation than Virginia does. I, I have to commend Joe Bresci to staff for not starting Caton Johnson, which had to be really hard because he's a, you know, an ACC, all ACC caliber goalie. And, and clearly what they had seen is that the freshman from Melville, Denny's boy, has been able to shore up that end of the field um, and, and obviously had to go out and earn that position. You know, they were not probably penciling him in to come in and start when they had what I would consider a strength of their team in Caton Johnson coming back. You factor that in with Bowman being healthy again with Egan. They've got two big time stoppers in those two guys. And the face-off success has taken a lot of pressure off that end of the field to begin with, not too dissimilar to, you know, Albany a few years ago when they had TD Ireland at the X and they just, you know, just didn't see a lot of offense. And then the fact that their offense with Chris Gray back there complimenting and giving that offense balance in a way that um, uh who was number zero for the heels when they won the national championship in two, six and 16. Pontrello. Pontrello. You know, I see a balance there with two great midfield lines. And I don't think the first midfield line at Carolina gets enough credit as being arguably the best midfield in the country. And I think Chris Gray has helped give them the balance that they need to take the pressure off that first midfield. And you look at the complimentary pieces around him between Kelly and uh, Cameron and Solomon. You know, to me, that's, that's the most complete team right now. You, you, behind them, obviously, Virginia, I think, is another team that stuck out very, very favorably. Their offense is just as powerful. They also have that same level of balance. They also have a face-off guy that's dominated and has minimized the amount of team defense that they have to play. I'm just a little more sold on Carolina than I am Virginia, but to me, those are the top two teams right there, one and two. So tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on what you've seen out of Virginia. You know, I, I love how unselfish they are. You know, certainly Matt Moore is arguably the best player in the country. You know, he's definitely a first-team All-American, in my opinion. You know, but you look at the emergence of Peyton Cormier on the wing. You look at Schellenberger, 
wherever he is on the offense, whether it's at midfield or attack, I frankly like him better as a midfielder because I think he's more apt to get a short stick. And I think, I do think he holds the ball a little bit too long, but that's part of, you know, the transition from high school lacrosse to, to college lacrosse. I think he holds it a little too long, but he is really dynamic. Uh, Bertrand gives them, you know, a big time playmaking threat. Schnellenberger, big time playmaking threat. Matt Moore, obviously big time playmaking threat. Docs Aiken, I think this allows him to be a stretch shooter, which I really think is, is who he is as a player. And I, I just, I love who Virginia is as an offense. They obviously embrace the blue collar aspects of the game. You know, they're arguably the best, if not the best off the ground in terms of getting ground balls. They're murder in transition. Their ride is phenomenal. Um, you know, and, and I just think if they're winning face-offs, they're, they're kind of unbeatable. And I feel that way about Carolina as well. It's going to be really interesting to watch those two teams play against each other. I, I think it would be hard to really say that one's better than the other. You know, it's going to be a great matchup and we'll probably get a, get a chance to see, see them play, you know, as many as three times. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I just saw Clark's tweet about the upcoming schedule that those guys are all doing and put them all into my phone. And I just, I love the fact that these teams are playing each other twice. I mean, it's so awesome. It really is. Yeah. For me, uh, I agree with everything you said about Carolina. I would say the one thing about Virginia is, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, Doc Aiken was a first team all American won a national championship and he was like the fifth guy you talked about. Now I know that's in part because he, he took, you know, took some time off and he's getting his feet back underneath him. And yeah, he might be a stretch shooter, but that kid gets to the rack too. And he's getting a short stick now. You know? Yeah, well, I, I would short stick him. I mean, I don't think as as great of a player, as great of an athlete that Doc Aiken is, Doc Aiken's not a playmaker. You know, Doc Aiken is, a, in my opinion, a, a redodger, you know, or, or a step down shooter who will, you know, hitch either way and can overpower goalies on the run from, you know, 14 yards out I mean, but but the issue is how often do you really want to get those shots like I, you know are those the shots that you want yep if you can get an eight yarder and I, I think they can get an eight yarder a lot easier and I think what really makes this team scary or scarier than in years past is that between Schnellenberger and Bertrand up top with Moore winning his matchup virtually probably against anybody um and then you've got the complementary pieces with Laviano, whether he's playing attack or whether he's playing midfield. Frankly, I like him better as a midfielder, but he is such a great rider. Hard to not have him on the field. And then Cormier is just unbelievable as well. You know, he's just a goal machine. It's it's they they have a super offense, so to speak. Yeah, no, they really do. That was kind of my point. I mean, you know, when you got a first team All American as your fifth or sixth option, it's pretty good. You got a pretty good offense. Yeah. No, they just got to share the ball, move the ball. And that's the cool thing about Matt Moore, too, is because that guy is actually a great feeder. I mean, you know, he goes 5-0 and with like three or four one-on-one -on -one goals, but he's actually like, I think he's almost a feed-first guy. It's just that, you know, they're not going to slide to him. He's going to score goals on you. Yeah, well, I think between Matt Moore, and I agree with you 100%, I mean, he's a perfect feeder, right? And, and I think Schnellenberger is. And I frankly think that, look, when you're on the offensive end and you have the ball, there's only five guys that you've got to see. <laughs> Right. And once you get to five, that's it. You're out. And Matt Moore sees all five guys. 
And the reality is if you slide to him, he's going to make you pay. And if you don't slide to him, he's going to make you pay. And he's unselfish enough as a player to hit the outlet if the secondary pushes the primary and somebody isn't immediately open off his dodge. He's patient enough and mature enough as a player to hit the outlet, where I think Schnellenberger still has shown at times that, you know, when he gets a slide, he really wants to make a feed off of that. And I think that that at times can lead to turnovers, but I love his game too. Yeah. But I think in years past where they've, you know, where they turn the ball over a little bit more in the past few years, I'm not seeing those same sort of force it turnovers at the same rate out of UVA. And that makes them really scary when you fuse that with the success they're having at the faceoff X. All right. So let's talk about um, sort of who's next. And it, it may be a group of teams. It may be a team. Um, is there anybody that you kind of put at the uh, Carolina, Virginia level, or is there sort of a next grouping of, of programs that you would sort of put in three through five or three through six, whatever? Well, I think the, you know, you have to look at Duke, certainly, you know, they struggled at the X in the first few games, but Jake Naso, the freshman has certainly found his footing, at least statistically, and seems to be at the front of the whistle and has made the transition from Modo to the new rules very, very well. And again, when, you, when you're winning 21 out of 25, which I think is what he won during his last game, and you're giving that offense that many that much of an advantage from possession standpoint, they're also going to find their footing. You know, Michael Sowers clearly deserves all the attention he's gotten in the past. He's, he's a phenomenal player. And as he finds his footing and as the guys that are playing around him gain a comfort level with how he likes to play, this is only going to become a team that's scarier and scarier, whether it's, you know, Brennan O'Neill on attack or whether he's playing midfield, uh, you know, I, I love uh, the pieces that they have. I just don't think their midfield is quite as dynamic as the midfields at Carolina and at Virginia right now. Will they be down the stretch? Yeah, I, I think they will be. But when do they find that footing? You know, if you've looked at the way Duke typically evolves over the course of the season, they're probably going to find their footing in May. Yeah. And that's when they're going to be the most dangerous because quite frankly, you're just going to have less film on them playing at that level, even though you will have recent film, but I see Duke right there with those teams, but not quite right there yet. Yeah. They got so many new pieces, you know, they're trying to figure it out. They do. You know, I leading into the season, I would have put Syracuse um, in that group, but you and I, when we went through this, you know, a year ago, Syracuse was, I think, number one in the country when the season shut down last year. And frankly, I didn't think that they deserved it. They had played a soft schedule except for army who they beat by two goals. And while they certainly have dynamic midfielders, I just don't think they have a lot of balance as a team. They don't seem to have a true playmaking attackman that makes everybody better. You know, when he has the ball, uh, you know, it, it Chase Scanlon had a nice dodge and score against Army, you know, first play of the game. And, and I watched that entire game. They just don't look comfortable. You know, I listened to Quint's podcast when I was working out on, on uh, Monday, yesterday. And, you know, he had mentioned that they generate the bulk of their offense from above the goal. And, and that makes sense. I, I, I can see that 
But I really think what separates UVA and Duke and Carolina from Syracuse is that you're rolling out Michael Sowers and Matt Moore and Chris Gray, and Syracuse doesn't have anybody like that. They lack balance offensively. And, and then you go to the other end, and even though they had a ton of faceoff success, and you'd think that that would limit the amount of defense that they play, unfortunately, when they were caught on defense, they looked like a summer league team. I mean, I got to be honest. There, there was zero help side collapse from the perimeter. And as a result, Army picked them apart inside. They also hit some great shots. You know, and I don't think it was Drake Porter's best game. I think he's better than the way that he showed on Sunday against Army. But I just don't see Syracuse having the same amount of balance across the board as Duke and Carolina and Virginia. And so I, I think that they are in the next group of teams, but they're, but they're at the bottom of that. And, and they, may have to, they may have to move some people around to figure out you know, how they're going to get some balance. And they got to get more organized on defense because if, if they're getting scored on that easily with inside shots, which are super high percentage scoring opportunities, you can't expect Drake Porter to have a great game. If he's, you know, seeing 12 to 14 yard time and space shots and he's seeing 10 yard shots on the run, I think he's going to make the, a lot of those saves, but, but inside finishes, you know, outside of Sal and Schmoles and Doc, I don't see a lot of people making those saves with consistency. What are your thoughts about Army? I mean, they look pretty darn good. Where do you put them? Is it partly because Army might be a top five or top 10 team? I got, I got Army right there, um, you know, probably behind Duke. And I have Duke a little bit ahead of them simply because I like Duke's overall personnel better. But nobody plays harder. Nobody plays tougher. Nobody is more unified than that Army team. And I just love watching guys like Joe Alberici succeed. You know, he's just all substance, no fluff. Couldn't be a... a you know, classier guy and a classier coach. And this team has sort of taken on that tough as shit demeanor, but also super respectful for the opportunity to play. And you can see it in the team chemistry that they have and the passion that they have in playing with each other and for each other. I just loved how they got down 6-1 and they just continued. It almost looked like they turned up the intensity and started, instead of getting sad like a lot of teams would do they got mad and they just imposed their will uh you know on Syracuse and they exploited Syracuse in a big big way down the last three quarters of that game and so I have Army right there Brendan Nectern I mean that kid was really impressive hard to not consider him in the first team All-American category he makes everybody better with and without the ball you know he wasn't only doing it as a playmaker off the dodge, but he was also doing it on extra man, stepping in and, and making teams have to count for him off ball. And that's what I love so much about Chris Gray at Carolina is he's arguably the best off ball attackman in the country, you know? And I think Brendan Nickturn, as great of a playmaker as he is, also showed some great off ball play. Um, so I got Army right there as well. And to get a win in the dome at any time, is pretty awesome. And now I know, uh, you know, the dome back when you were playing might've been a little bit crazier and scarier when the, when the g -g 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 gates were on the team. Uh, 
There's no but, question. But I want I want you to tell a story about a time that you and my brother Neil were were um, having a catch in the dome before a playoff game, and Dom came up to play catch with you guys. Ah, uh, I remember that. No, well, what that that was actually. <laughs> So Neil and I were having a catch in the carrier dome and Dom was walking up behind me and I didn't see it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about, well, you can tell the story, but it's, it's when you guys were playing catch and you didn't have a ball and Dom like put a stick up like to throw it to him and you threw like no ball at him. And he was just like, what the hell are you guys doing? Oh, uh, well, that was sort of the same uh, skullduggery that your brother liked to uh, initiate those days, James. Um, I actually don't remember that, but that sounds like that would definitely be uh, one of the chapters in uh, in how to horrify your cross coach <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about the Terps. Um, they had uh, a big win, huge day for Bobby Benson. Yeah, I, listen, I'm I'm really happy for Bobby. Bobby's one of the good guys in the sport, and and certainly did not deserve. Uh, you know, what happened to him this summer. I, I, I feel bad for him, but let's face it, you know it and I know it firsthand. If you coach long enough, yep. um, you know, it happens to everybody. And, and unfortunately for Hopkins, they didn't have Bobby helping him out against, um, you know, Ohio State's defense. And then on the other side of that, to have Maryland explode the way that they did, certainly, uh, creates a double win for Bobby. And I'm not surprised at all yeah. by, by that. But did you watch the Terps play at all? Did you see any highlights? Have you, have you know you what? I didn't. It was on the Big Ten Network, and I, I just I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get to watch the game. I was following it, uh, and certainly they, they pounded Michigan, but I was watching the face-off statistics because I wanted to see how Jack Rowlett's little brother did against um, the kid from Maryland who – has been very very good uh and, and he did pretty well but but you know they struggled certainly against the terps and and i i think the terps again are right there with any of them i certainly would put them for sure in the you know duke and army group i i'm hesitant to put them in the north carolina and virginia at the very very top but only because i haven't seen them play yeah. i'm sure if i had watched that game I bet you I would have them right there with North Carolina, Virginia. But I've, I've seen Virginia play two, three times. I've seen Carolina play, I think, four times now. And so I feel like I have a good handle on what their respective strengths are. And I just don't have that same familiarity with the Terps. Um, but when I do, I, it wouldn't surprise me if I also have them in that, in that very, very top group. Um, who's next for you? Or who's in the, in the grouping? So, well, I, I would say, and again, it's not necessarily in order, but – I mean, obviously, you have to put Georgetown right in that group immediately. And again, I did. I wasn't able to watch the Georgetown Villanova game. I tried to, but I, I couldn't get it to come up. And so I have a feeling that Georgetown, along with Maryland, could potentially be right there with Carolina and Virginia as the very top group. But having not seen them play firsthand, um, you know, and, and not seeing Rutgers play firsthand against Penn State, I would say that Duke and, and Army and uh, Rutgers and Georgetown, you know, those, those would be sort of the next group. And again, Georgetown and Maryland and Rutgers, it, it's simply because I haven't gotten to seen them, see them play. 
uh, as much as I've seen Carolina and Virginia play. But but the next the next two teams for me is, is Rutgers and Georgetown. How how can it not be? And Georgetown, I mean, wow, they exploded offensively and they held Villanova, which is traditionally a very high scoring team and a very well coached team to one goal. I mean, that's that's like you know, Quint was talking about it. He thought it, he saw it as a defensive statement, you know, but team puts up 16 goals. How do you not think it's an offensive statement? I think we're looking at a team that has a lot of balance. It's going to be interesting to see how Georgetown's season plays out. Rutgers, obviously, with a huge win over Penn State. But let's face it, this Penn State team is going to have to redefine itself. You know, you lose Grant Amen, it's like Princeton losing Michael Sowers, you know, you're, you're losing a guy that makes everybody better with and without the ball, who's been a mainstay for four years. And, uh, you know, there's no question Mac O'Keefe's game is going to have to be redefined this season. He's not going to put up the same amount of goals because he's, they've lost some balance, you know, and they've lost a guy that is an incredible passer. And oftentimes Mac O'Keefe sitting out at 15 yards was the shot you want to give up. You're not going to give up a, a you know, a 15 yarder to take a 10 yarder defensively. You're, you're, you're going to, you're going to have to give up the 15 yarder, but Mac O'Keefe has that kind of range and that kind of release that he and Grant Amen could, could crush teams together that way. And, and he doesn't have somebody that's going to pay him off as well. And so I think he's obviously a great player. He's going to be phenomenal in the PLL you're going to see the Mac O'Keefe that you've seen for the last three years for 10 years in the PLL, but you might not see him this season at all. Jeff's a great coach. They're a great staff. They got great players. They're going to figure it out, but I don't think they're going to be as scary offensively as they've been in years past, because how could they be when you lose a player that makes everybody better the way Grant Amen did for so long? No doubt. Well, I did watch the Georgetown game and their defense was impressive. And I would say that it was a defensive statement. They looked like they were winning their matchups. They were in perfect position to help. They were timely in their ability to kind of jump on you with double teams. If you turn your back, they're fast, they're athletic. They were, they were clean off the ground. Shorties look solid. And then Jake Carraway is the guy that nobody has been really talking about. Um, and I, I, I would have said this last year too. I mean, this guy, he's, he's Tawaraton level player. Um, and he's just been under the radar a little bit. And uh, he had eight and one. And this guy shoots the ball. But he's also an athlete. He's big and he can dodge. Um, he's not, he's at his best probably when he's shooting it. But, but he's, he's, he's a big boy that can move and shoot it on the run. Um, and so uh, it gives them a huge threat. And uh, so it's fun to watch them. Um, I did watch the Rutgers Penn State game this morning uh, in preparation here. And Connor Kirst is a freaking stud. And, you know, they already had like Charlotte Beatty's is back and healthy in his, I think he's in his seventh or eighth year. I did a podcast with Brian Brecht and I was like, Brian, how long have you been um, at Rutgers? He's like, this will be my 11th year. And I was like, how many of those years did you have Adam Charlotte Beatty's on the team? <laughs> You can see a smile. Adam Charlambides is such a stud. I love the kid's game. I remember watching him in the 2016 Minto Cup, and he's the best player, and he's had a couple knee surgeries since then. Um, but he is a total beast, lefty, captain, leader. Connor Kirst just gives them, like, this guy is 
big, strong, two-handed, makes the right play. Like that, what's so impressive about him is that he, he'll draw and just dump it to X and swing it just as much as he'll find the open guy or score it. Um, and uh, so they've got some real balance. Um, Penn State, the game was kind of sloppy. Penn State did look very different, obviously. Can you contrast the difference in style of play, Connor Kirst versus Jack Carraway? Is it fair to say that Connor Kirst with a stat line of three and four and Jack Carraway with a stat line of eight and one is, is, is Carraway a goal scorer first and Kirst is a little more of a playmaker? Yeah, I think so. I think that would be a fair way to say it. Um, they're both big, strong athletes that can, that are pretty rugged. Um, Kirst might be a little more two-handed too, and he can kind of split to either hand and, and I mean, he definitely wants his right. Um, but, and I think he, they, you know, they use him as more of a Dodger. Um, but yeah, I think he's more of a playmaker for sure. Do you think, do you think Kirst is a midfielder in the PLL or do you think he's an attackman? I think he's going to be a midi, but I think he can be an attackman. I mean, I think he's, he's so athletic and strong and fast that he can do whatever you want and he can dodge poles and he can dodge shorts, but I can see that guy as a midi for sure. And, and would you say he's got perfect vision? I don't know if I've seen him enough to be able to make that statement, but I really liked his vision. Um, and like I said, I like his mentality of moving the ball too, because it wasn't just feeding. It was just getting the ball out of a stick at the right time and, and, and allowing the offense to run. Just no, knows how to play. Say what? He just knows how to play. He makes the right play with consistency. And one guy cannot cover him. You have to slide to him. He can dodge either way for goals, can feed either way for goals, and is unselfish enough and willing to start the offense even if it doesn't lead for a point which minimizes his turnovers. No doubt. And I, and I have a feeling that was just the biggest loss for Villanova. I mean, I think they're, they were, they were lacking a guy like that. And um, had he been in that game, I'm, I guarantee you it would have been a, a, a different game. Well, at least it would have been 16 to eight. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we haven't talked about Ohio state. Uh, we, we, we kind of talked about um, the Hopkins losing a little bit, but but Ohio State's got to be right up there in that group, too. Yeah, you know, I watched that whole game, and I was, like Army, Ohio State plays really hard. Um, and I was super impressed with their pace of play. I was impressed with uh, the balance on offense for that team. You know, Trey LeClaire is such a stud, but he actually didn't shoot that well in that game, and he he normally does. And But I was happy to see the amount of midfield balance that Ohio State had. I, I was impressed with them on the defensive end. Although, let's, let's be fair, you know, uh, Pete Milliman has had an incredibly tough transition from being able to coach at Cornell last year where I thought they were the best team in the country going into the shutdown, um, having beaten Ohio State and Penn State as two great wins for that Cornell team. And then the season gets shut down. Um, Petro gets moved out, unfortunately. And Pete Milliman ends up going in and getting that job. And they just have really struggled as it relates to COVID. And, and, and he's not making excuses about it. And, and other people aren't making excuses about it. And you know, some teams have had the ability to get together for practices and, 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 and skill sessions and meetings 
a lot more frequently than other programs have. But from what I've heard from my Hopkins friends is that they just haven't had a lot of time together. And, you know, as impressive as Ohio State was on the defensive end, I just think that Hopkins didn't look comfortable at all on offense. You know, you had guys dodging with two adjacents standing right there and not, you know, creating space for those guys, not back cutting to create space, not ball picking, not fake pick slipping. It just looked like at times one guy was trying to dodge his guy with, you know, Ohio State having six defenders right there watching him with no off-ball action, putting pressure on the off-ball defenders in any way. And it's just going to be hard to generate consistent scoring opportunities offensively unless you have six guys connected with five guys making the, the playmaker better off-ball by putting pressure on their respective defensive counterpart. I didn't see much of that out of Hopkins. They scored some goals that were, you know, sort of fortunate goals. You know, one time the guy dodges and Ohio State gets, you know, puts the ball on the ground with a great slide to check the ball trickles through and, you know, Hopkins picks it up and threw it in. You know, they did look better in the second half and you got to commend the heart that Hopkins had um, by not packing it in and getting blown out by 15. They they did fight until the end and they, they put a great second half effort in. Um, and I guess my reason for saying that is because I just don't know how to evaluate Ohio State's defense when I felt like the team that they were competing against was not yet organized offensively. And I think Hopkins is going to be a much different team in May or April than they are right now. And, and that would be expected. But I don't think I can adequately evaluate Ohio State's defense because I just don't think that they were playing against a team that had been together enough to really um, test their respective team defense. Got it. All right. So Loyola, Notre Dame, Denver, where do they fit in for you? You know, I think Loyola, uh, I, I love how hard they play. Charlie and his staff are, you know, a very, on, on one hand, as, as, you know, one of the very best staffs in the country. I, I love that group of coaches. I love how hard Loyola plays. I, you know, Savio, who I've been critical of in the past, I think has cemented himself as one of the best face-off guys out there. Um, certainly McNulty in between the lines. I like Sam Schaefer in the net. Um, offensively, I like the way that they play. I think they were fortunate to get out with a win versus Richmond in the first week. I think they've got a superstar in Kevin Lindley who's going to be playing for 10 years in the PLL down the road. You know, but I just I just feel like there are a few players short, you know, to to really be a threat to beat teams like Virginia. They played Virginia well. They did. You know, that was a that was a heavyweight fight, but I just feel like they're a few players short. And so if they're able to control tempo and 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 win face-offs, I think they're so well coached on both ends of the field that they're going to be able to win games against teams that are a little deeper than them. Um, and, and what I mean by that are sort of the ACC Big Ten teams that I think have a little bit more depth than, than Loyola has. You know, but in order for, those, for them to win those games, I think they got to they gotta win face-offs and they got to control the ball offensively, right? They got to minimize the total number of possessions that each team gets. They're not going to win a 40 possession 
you know, per team game. I, I think that they are a threat to beat anybody with a, uh, you know, 25 possession or less game per team. Um, you know, so, so I like Loyola, but I, I'm not sure that they're, I'm not sure that they're in that, you know, Army, Georgetown, Maryland, Rutgers group yet. Um, uh, who's the other team that you talked about? Uh, Notre Dame. They haven't played yet. Obviously, um, yeah. high expectations there. Yeah, I've got high expectations too. I think Notre Dame is, uh, you know, again, they're always one of the best teams in the country. They're always one of the best coached teams in the country. I think that Notre Dame has become a little scarier on the offensive end. I think that they are doing some things they haven't necessarily done in years past. And I, I think it's a, a, a more enjoyable offense for the players to play in. And, you know, certainly they have the defensive personnel and they've always been known as a sort of a team defense first. I'm not sure they're quite as dynamic schematically that way or, or disciplined that way, but they do have the pieces. And I think with the transfer of Gallagher coming in there from Penn, who's arguably the best guy in the country or, or, or certainly was without a doubt with the old rules, how do the new rules affect him? in that respect. Uh, you know, Charlie Leonard is a beast of a competitor. How do the new rules affect him? If those guys can make the transition the way that Tucci at Carolina and the way that LaSalle at Virginia um, have, have made, then I could see Notre Dame being, again, one of those teams that's also in that top group. We, we know that from a coaching perspective, they're as well coached every year as any team in the country and they have the players. Um, and if they're playing a little looser on the offensive end, they might be able to score a few more goals. And the face-off success, they're a team that, you know, could be with Carolina and, and Virginia in that time. Provided Notre Dame gets consistent goaltending, you know, if they're getting 53-plus save percentage and they're getting 55-plus at the X, then I see them being able to you know, certainly go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Virginia, North Carolina, Georgetown, Maryland. I, I see them right there as having that same amount of talent, the same quality of coaching. I, I love that staff. I think they're very, very good. They just don't beat themselves. And, and even though they struggled last year, I think when the season shut down last year, they were two and three. They just are always there in the end. And I think for them, goaltending success and, and face-off success is so critical um, as their season plays out. No doubt. And their full field game and the way they ride and pressure and phenomenal. Training. It yeah. is phenomenal. It They're is. one of the best coach teams in the country, without a doubt. And, and Kevin and his staff have done it every year. No doubt. All right, let's talk a little bit about Denver. Denver's interesting because you know they look like they're about to knock off Duke and and then they ran into a buzzsaw with Carolina. I think that was kind of a, a, a fluke of a score, although I'm not surprised that Carolina won. And I'm not even surprised that Carolina like, you know, was won handily. Um, I, I think Denver looked like a team that was tired and we know that Denver a will uh, be, be back and be better um, as coach Tierney and coach Brown will get those guys going and B they're going to be adding TD Ireland and who knows, maybe even Jeff T. Yeah. I, I, I gotta be uh, you know, when, when Denver played Duke in that first game, I was so anxious to watch the faceoffs and Stathicus ended up having the most success in that first game. And even though he was successful from a statistical standpoint, neither of those face-off guys impressed me 
um, as it related to the transitioning to the new rules. Now, Jake Nacell, from that standpoint, has evolved in the last few games, and he does look comfortable now. I would put him on the level with Tucci and LaSala at this point, based on what I've seen the last few games. That first game, none of those guys looked good. Ginder didn't look good. Nacell didn't look good. And Stathakis, I didn't think looked good, yet he, he won the game statistically at the X, and that allowed them to uh, you know, have the possessions to jump out and, and, you know, to a big lead on Duke. But I just felt that Denver's offense looked a little out of sync. I felt like they were passing up quality shots, you know, 10-yard time and space shots to try to, to try to get something even better than that. And I think that ended up, they were almost too patient. And I think they sacrificed some great scoring opportunities that, that could have allowed them to beat Duke in that first game. And ultimately, it gave Duke an opportunity to get back into the game. And I think that Denver, even though they have the best coach in the history of the sport and Bill Tierney, I didn't think that they looked like they were locking teams down on the defensive end. Um, and then they come out against Carolina and they get destroyed at the X, which really accentuated the problems for Denver, you know, they, they weren't scary offensively. They didn't have the ball that much. And Carolina is really well-balanced offensively with a lot of really dynamic players. And they took it to a Denver team that in my opinion, isn't connected yet. And they're going to get connected, you know, between Bill Tierney and Matt Brown, they're going to get connected. I put it this way. I don't worry about Denver. Or I worry about Denver as much as I worry about Alabama's football team, right? It, it, it's going to happen. And, and who knows with, with Bill Tierney and, and Matt Brown, that Carolina result may be the best thing that happens that happened to that Denver team. The best is yet to come for Denver. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with T. Ireland. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Gallagher at Notre Dame and the faceoff X. You know, how are they going to be able to make the transition the way that LaSalle and Tucci has? Have, because if, if they are, then that's, you know, obviously going to be a shot in the arm for both teams that need face-off success in order to have a chance to win the national championship because they've got the players to do it, but they've got to, they've got to be successful in, in that area in order to minimize the amount of defense that they're playing and, and be able to, uh, you know, come together as an offensive team. And they've got the pieces to do it. Awesome. AT, always love listening to your insights and your opinions. Have an awesome rest of the week and fire up to be back in the in-season podcast with you. Great. A lot of fun, Jamie. You're the man. I'll check in. See you, buddy. Yeah.